Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Today, sometimes we sing different songs, but today, congregationally, we sang the old hymns, and it brought back a good memory from my boyhood days. But I woke up every Sunday morning to my mother playing the piano in the front room, uh, playing the old hymns. That's how she got us up, uh, got us ready to go to church. She's in heaven now. She passed away. In 1996, on Thanksgiving Day, at the age of 57, that's that's my age, and she went on to heaven. So it's good to have wonderful memories, and the blessed hope, if your mama's in heaven, that you'll see her again one day. And uh, today, at the end of our service, all of you ladies, because I won't tell you whether you have children or not of your own, You're a a woman in Israel, a mother in Israel, as the Old Testament says of some of the stalwart ladies of the Bible, and you uh, pray and you minister and you help children and youth through the ministry of your church. And we have a special gift for you. It's a small little bookmark to place in your Bible and just to remind you that we do appreciate all of our ladies And at the end of the service, as you leave, I think Sam and Grayson will be up front. Is that right, guys? And then in the back, uh, Reese and Jack will be back there, out those doors there. I told Jack, don't try to sell those bookmarks, Jack. you you got to give them away. But uh, anyway, um, they'll be, and you can take one of those little bookmarks and just remind you that we at First Baptist do appreciate uh, our ladies and... uh, So I want to tell you, happy Mother's Day. I hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you for coming today to worship and to hear God's Word. We are preaching through the book of 2 Peter. And verse by verse through 2 Peter, and we find ourselves in chapter 2 this morning as we are talking about false teachers. So I want to continue from where we left off last week and read Uh, the text for you now, 2 Peter chapter 2, let's begin, let's go ahead and just begin with verse 1, and if you're ready for the reading of the scripture, say amen. Amen. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily, secretly, seductively shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many people shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the truth of God will be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, greed, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. For if the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow 
making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy lifestyle of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to, to, to deliver the godly out of temptations or trials. And he also knows how to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. Verse 9 is a key verse for chapter 2, and we will focus on that verse uh, in a moment. But uh, today is Mother's Day, and I just read a unique text for Mother's Day. Fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, who in the world in their right mind would preach that sermon on Mother's Day? Well, let me share something with you. Whether or not you think I'm in the right mind or not, I am the pastor here, and um, you did call me to be here, and you've kept up with me and put up with me all these years. But I want to tell you one thing I've learned as a pastor and a preacher and as a parent. Every single verse of the Bible is a Father's Day and a Mother's Day sermon because it begins in the home and it needs to be, it needs to be taught in the home. And uh, that's why we need to equip and preach the Word of God verse by verse so it can be in the home and moms and dads and grandparents uh, can know and understand truth and impart them to their children. So we are continuing on in 2 Peter, and we come now to the portion of our dealing with false teachers, which we've been for the last couple of weeks and will be for the next few weeks. And today we talk about their condemnation. We continue with that. Ere long in chapter 2, we're going to see their conclusion. Where does, does false teaching end up? What does it actually do to the victims of it, those who follow after these false teachers. But today, I want to talk to you about false teachers and their condemnation. I entitle this sermon, False Teachers, Their Condemnation. That's for my filing cabinet. But let me tell you what I'm going to call it today. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to follow false teachers. <laughs> Amen. Huh? I got that, adopted that from a great theologian by the name of Willie Nelson. <laughs> but I want to tell you, mamas, don't let your babies grow up to follow false teachers because the judgment of God is upon false teachers and their followers. And if we do not think that God will bring His judgment upon false teachers... And upon, what, upon the perpetrators of what's happening in our culture here in America today, I want to tell you that we are going to deny the very character of God. Peter, in this text, gives us three examples of how God judges false teaching and those who perpetrate it and those who go after it. And the end result will be the judgment of God. God is a God of truth. God is a God of truth. And I want to tell you what you believe and what you, how you form your mind with your thinking and the doctrines of the Word of God. That dictates behavior. And that dictates how we live, what we believe, what we hold to. Our values are determined by something and I hope and pray your values are determined by the Word of God and therefore your behavior will be pleasing to the Lord. But false teachers would lead you another direction and they will be judged. And so God gives us the three examples in our text to prove to us and to show us that His character demands that He judge sin and we're going to look at these three examples this morning and tie it into what's happening to our country, and you will see the importance of parents. You will see the importance of Bible-preaching churches uh, as we look at this text. So to prove that God does judge sin. See, Peter is writing to um, 
Christian people who are being plagued with false doctrine, false teachers from every angle are coming in and they are infiltrating the church. And one thing they are saying, as we will see when we get into chapter 3, is they're saying, where is the promise of His coming? You people say, you Christian people say that God is going to come and judge this world and their sin. Well, things have been rocking along all these centuries for these thousands of years and nothing has happened. And we'll see that in chapter 3 and we get a glimpse of it in our text. Peter says, oh yeah, you're forgetting what the Bible teaches. And Peter takes us to the Old Testament and he tells us of three examples of God's judgment upon sin and false teaching and false doctrine and those who perpetrate it and upon those who follow it. And so the first thing he does is he takes us all the way back into uh, the first week of creation. And he reminds us there in verse these verses here, verse 4, of the pride of the angelic world. That's the first example he shows us. And he mentions the fallen angels. Now, um, one false doctrine that many people believe and, and even within the church today is, uh, is the old earth uh, brought on by the, the teaching of uh, evolution. Well, I want to tell you, I don't believe that. I'm a young earth guy because of the Word of God. I don't think we've been around very long. I think we've only been here about six thousand years, give or take a month or two. And uh, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth in seven sun up to sundown days. And I just believe the Bible. I just believe what the Word of God says. And um, so sometime during that first week of creation, God created the angelic hosts. He created the angelic host. Perhaps on the first day, um, and, and Peter talks a lot about creation in, in uh, the next chapter, but perhaps on the first day he created angels. The Bible doesn't tell us when he created these angels, but um, we do know they existed uh, in the first week when everything was perfect. You ever have a good week and then the next week all things fall apart? Well, that's what happened to mankind. That's why it is, because of these of the creation account, what took place. Well, God in His creative power and creative genius just created everything and He created the angels and at the end of that first week He looked upon all that He had created according to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and, he, and everything was good. He said everything was good. He even created marriage. And for you young people, He created employment in the first week and said it was good. Did you know that before God gave Adam a wife, He gave him a job? Amen. Made him a gardener. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you got kids, you need to appreciate that. and You need to, you need to understand that's good preaching whether your kid's lazy or not. Amen. But God gave him a job then gave him a wife and said everything was good. But somewhere in the glories of heaven, the Bible tells us that there was a rebellion amongst the angelic host, and it was because of pride. And um, these angels, all of them that rebelled, were just like the angels that stayed true. They heard God said, let it be, and it was. They heard God said, let there be light, and there was light. And they saw God create everything, time, matter, everything. And they saw the great, mighty handiwork of Almighty God, but still, one of their own, the Bible teaches us Lucifer, what did he do? He decided he wanted to be God. He wanted to sit on the throne of all that is. And pride incentivized him 
to bring about a rebellion in heaven. The book of Revelation 12, 4 says that the third of the angelic host followed after Lucifer and they rebelled against God. And there was rebellion in heaven sometime after the first week of creation because God said everything was good. Well, all of a sudden, it started in heaven. Things turned bad and the angels rebelled against him. Let me take you to the book of Isaiah, and I want to show you their rebellion. Isaiah chapter 14 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God is a reference to the angelic host. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. But God said, yet you will be brought down to hell. And he certainly was. And so the pride of the angelic host... He promised the angels all the glory of God. You follow me, you'll have all the glory of God. He manipulated. He made merchandise. And it all fell apart just like it does with these false teachers. They promise all the glory in the world. And it never pans out. Well, the third of the angels fell. And it's an amazing thing to me. Something that uh, I... I know, but I, I'm not going to try to figure it out. Some of the angels were, were chained in hell. They're in hell today. They'll be unchained upon a day, but they're in chains. And some of them roam free in the atmosphere of our world. They're called demons. And they're around. They're active. I mean, I think, I think they're more active than we think they are. And they're influential in this world. I know they're over nations from the book of Daniel no, a lot of things. Why some are in chains and some are not, I don't know. But their pride brought them to rebellion. They wanted to be their own God. And their pride brought them their rebellion. I'll tell you another amazing thing to me. God chose in His sovereignty to offer no forgiveness to the fallen angels. Isn't that an amazing thing? God did not offer the fallen angels one iota of forgiveness for their sin. He offered them zero grace. And they're doomed and they're damned. And one day, when Christ returns, we'll be done away with them forever. I can't wait to get rid of the devil. Amen? Amen. Wouldn't that be nice to be rid of the devil right now? Huh? And uh, it would be. But one day he will be. And God judged them all. And so we have the angelic host. The angelic world shows us that God indeed does judge sin. The second example is there in uh, chapter 2. We see he spared not the angels. But look at verse 5. And spared not the old world. But save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So the pride of the angelic world met the judgment of God. The second, here, the politics. You like that word? The politics of the temple. And Peter takes us to the book of Genesis again. This time he takes us to chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, when he's talking about this ancient world, the old world. The theological term for this time in man's history is called the antediluvian culture. Now, I said that just to impress you. But the antediluvian means before the deluge, before the flood. This was the society, the culture, just prior to to the flood, before the deluge. Now, Peter calls it the old world. Now, it is the old world in two senses. 
One we'll talk about when we get to chapter 3. You'll have to come back. But in this sense, when he calls it the old world, he might not be necessarily referring to time, but he's referring to nature. When you read Genesis 6 and look at the antediluvian culture and society and antediluvian people, you see that it's really not old in nature. Although it was thousands of years ago, it's the same nature. Dear friend, mankind has not changed. We have not changed at all. And so it's old in the sense it's the old nature that's always there. A brief look at Genesis 6 shows us that our world in terms of its nature and the soul of man and what man is apart from God is the same as it has been since Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit and brought the sin curse upon all creation. And so go, if you want to, go to Genesis chapter 6, and I want to look at verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. In other words, God said, I'm going to be patient for 120 years and call the culture and society and the whole world to repentance, and it's going to be 120 years. I'm going to be very patient with men, with mankind, but my patience will give way to my wrath and my judgment. Now, if you'll read on, it says in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Now there's a lot of discussion on exactly what that means. There, and some theologians and commentators do a whole lot of gymnastics to come up with different angelic half-angel, half-man, and all that. And I don't have time to go into that. I mean, folks, we're, we're like you. I mean, um, I, I, if, if I took the time to deal with that, you'd be waiting in long, line a long time at the, at the restaurant. So we're not going to do that. But I want to tell you um, what it does mean in its very basics. It means several things. First, it means that the godly people were so mingling with the ungodly and separation was not the rule of the day. It was the mingling of those who trusted the Lord and called on the name of the Lord, those that we read about in chapter 4 and uh, chapter 5. And they were intermarrying. You know, the Bible says, be not unequally yoked as the manner of some is, he says, because light has no fellowship with darkness. Teach your children, mamas, that when they go to get married, they need to marry a born-again Christian. Because if they're a Christian and they marry somebody who's not a Christian, they're going to have father-in-law trouble. Because their father's the devil. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 teaches. Amen? That's good preaching whether you like it or not. But anyway, I want to tell you what, that's what was happening. And eventually, through time, the witness for the one true God gave way to the wickedness of the world. And a generation grew up, and you had men of renown, you had giants in the earth. Now, that could be physical. We, we know there were some big boys in the Bible. We read about Goliath. But it could also mean that there were men of renown and prestige. And it could, re, uh, could refer, and it does refer, in my opinion, to the political leaders, the leaders of that culture, 
those who set the pace for what people would believe and where people would go and the direction of life in those days. And it was a political leadership, if you will. And it was an awful situation. If you read in verse 5, we see, And God saw the wickedness of man. It was a culture of great wickedness against the will of God. Look at verse 5 again. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was always evil continually. Evil imaginations. You know what we're seeing today in our culture? We're seeing that good is evil and evil is good. Now you have to be blind to not see that going on in our world today. But I won't tell you what, that's exactly what's happening. And then verse 12, the Bible says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. It was corrupt. This is the first time in the Scripture this Hebrew word is used. And it means ruined, destroyed. The inhabitants had destroyed themselves. Remember, they had no thought of God whatsoever. Whatsoever. Jesus would say of this generation... In Matthew 24, for as in the days before the flood, what were they doing? Well, they were marrying and giving in marriage and just living out their normal life, just living life one day at a time, getting married and, and giving their children to marry. And that indicates that they were living a normal life, trying to go on with life but no thought of God whatsoever. And when you have no thought of God whatsoever, that's when the evil imaginations come in and everything turns sour before God. Men become corrupt in their own imagination. I was thinking about this the other day in terms of our politics in this country. And I know preachers aren't supposed to get into politics, but you know what? Maybe if we had more through the years, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. Amen? But I was thinking when I was coming of age into, into adulthood, the biggest debate in Washington, D.C. was the balanced budget amendment. Stan, you remember those days? The balanced budget amendment. And you had one group calling for a balanced budget, and you had another group saying, no, we don't need it. And the line item veto. And oh, I remember being so interested in that. But today, you know what we're debating today? Whether or not a man is really a woman or a woman is really a man. That's the most amazing thing I've ever, I, I could, I, I never dreamed that would be like that. Do you ever think of that? But that is the culture. And that is the political realm of our day. That's how it is. Now let me share with you something and how they're coming after your children and what's coming down the pike. Listen to this. The political climate in our culture today in America is what sets the stage for the way of thinking and ultimately the behavior of our children and grandchildren. That is what sets the pace. You read American history and you will realize it used to be the churches where the Word of God was preached was the center of every town and every society. It was the church where the Bible was preached and the men and women of God raised up a new generation and families were devoted to the Lord for the most part. I can remember where I grew up, it was an oddity to, not have, to have a family that never attended church. And you know what? That wasn't too long ago. But today, today the center of our communities is no longer the Bible-preaching churches. It is the schools and if those who are in politics, regardless of their party, can control the schools, they can control the country and impose their false teaching 
upon a whole generation. You say, preacher, you sound like it's a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy that started on the very second week, sometime of creation, when Satan said, I will be God. And it's been going on ever since, and we're seeing the fruition of it, and I personally believe Jesus is about to come. Sure hope he is. But it is where we live. And now, here's, here's where it's leading and how it ties in. Because I was often, I often thought, how's this going to work out? How's it going to work out? And then upon a day, it dawned on me. There was recently a judge who was nominated to the Supreme Court, Judge Jackson. And I was able to watch some of the hearings where she was questioned. I was impressed with a few things, and I was depressed by other things. Amen. But regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum and where, how you vote, even if you're not a Christian, this should trouble you because of the natural world we live in, the way God created us. She was asked the question, can you define a woman? And the answer was, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a biologist. Well, I'm not either. But I can define a lady, amen? All right, I was raised by one. I married one few years ago, I can define a lady, amen, but I'm not a biologist. I'm not qualified. And the big term you hear these days, folks, is the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. Don't you see where that's leading and how it's going to get into the minds of our children, and it's all politically driven by wicked men and women in high places and in low places. Follow the science. Well, the science is a pseudo-called science, pseudoscience. It's the false science because God, God's Word, the Bible, and science, real science, never contradict each other. It never does. It never does. Science, most of science is on a five-year half-life. In other words, everything we know or think we know in terms of certain sciences, quote-unquote, will be changed, half of it will be changed in five years. We'll realize we weren't right. New discoveries, new issues. But now it's the science. And if you contradict the science... Because it's not driven by research. It's not driven by observation as true science is. It's driven by morals and immorality. It's driven by lusts. It's driven by our paganism. And if you don't follow the science, you're a bigot. You're an idiot. You are everything that man should not be. And that's the way it is. And that's, it's not coming, it's here. And I want to tell you, they're coming after your children, Mama. They're coming after your children and your grandchildren. Immorality is politicized. Science is political and moral, not based upon fact from observation as science should be and always has been. And it's just like it is in Noah's day. When we get into chapter 3, we're going to find that the argument of these false teachers, whether in the political realm or the religious realm, is never intellectual. It's always moral. It's always moral. And so I will tell you, it's the politics of the ancient world. God brought the flood and destroyed the whole world. He does judge sin. He does judge sin. Now granted, folks, we, we need to be very careful because it's, it's more rampant than I ever thought it would, would be. It's, it's, it's come to South Mississippi, and I, I never dreamed it would be down here. But uh, this uh, 
so-called science has come upon us. And you know what? When Satan, the lead fallen angel, could not take over heaven, what did he do? He came down to earth and he took over the home. You hear me? He came down to earth. He couldn't conquer heaven, so he came down to earth to conquer the home. And the first thing he did was is turn a man and his wife away from God. And then he turned brother against brother. And he's been destroying the home ever since. And you may not think it, but I want to tell you this transgender issue, and we don't need to condemn those people. We need to pray for them and love them and preach the gospel to them and give them good biblical instruction that God created man and woman. And what you're thinking is not from God. And and we need to witness the gospel to them and, and help them along. But I want to tell you, you take and belittle womanhood, the arrogance of the transgender thinking. Listen to this. And this is how I look at it. The idea that a man can really be a woman, the arrogance of such an idea. I see godly women. I see you, you take even, even women who do not know the Lord. You give them a house... They make a home. Amen. You give them something rough and ugly, they make it beautiful. Huh? You give them a redneck, they make him into a gentleman. I mean, women and ladies are amazing. Amen. What they can do. They bring sweetness and culture to our world. And they're a blessing from God. God said after he created Adam and Eve, he said, everything's good except for one thing. Adam doesn't have a helpmeet. And he gave him a woman, a lady. And there's people out there who think, men out there who think that that's what they really are. They're arrogant. I could never be what she is. Amen. I mean, good night of living, folks. You're, yeah, my soul. It's amazing. If I were left to myself, even how I dress on Sunday morning, I would look like Bozo the Clown. <laughs> Amen. I noticed some of you men didn't listen to your wives this morning. But what womanhood has done and what motherhood has done, especially those under the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, what they can do, it's amazing. And the influence you have, that a man can think he can have such influence, he does over his children, but I want to tell you, mama has the most when my son was playing college football, we'd go to these big stadiums and we'd go to 100,000 people there and, uh, you know, I'd, we'd sit out there and watch them games and when he'd come out, to, out of the tunnel to play, you know what the first thing he would do is? Look for his mama. I want to tell you, that's womanhood, the influence what womanhood has done in the culture of the world, but especially America. Good old-fashioned patriotic motherhood. Amen. You know, I grew up with a younger brother and an older sister. I am the middle child. To this day, I'm the middle child. That's what's wrong with me. I might as well get it out. That's, that's it. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. I never remember my mama spanking me. 
I remember her telling my brother and sister, wait till your daddy gets home. And me too. But I never remember that. But I'm sure she did because we grew up in an old-fashioned home and, and, you know, she knew, they knew how to do it. But, uh, you know, they didn't abuse us. These days you got to be careful preaching that because somebody will call a 1-800 number on you. But anyway, I, you know, my mom and daddy knew how to do that. But I can remember me disappointing her at times. I can remember. I can remember one evening I came home and on the way home I got a traffic ticket. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what I did because it's none of your business. But uh, I wasn't DUI. I promise you that much. But I come home. And I told my daddy, Daddy, I got a ticket. I still remember the police officer's name. It was Daryl Hartless, Officer Daryl Hartless. The reason I remember that name, Hartless. The reason I remember that name is because he's the only one in our town. But anyway, my dad said, Well, son, you're going to have to pay it. You're going to have to pay it. That's what I said. You know, would say to my kids. Well, that's what I did say to my kids. <laughs> but anyway, we... My mama came in, sat on the end of the bed, which she was often to do, and said, Mike, I'm extremely disappointed in you. She said, that's so dangerous. You need to drive careful. I'd be worried about losing you. And see, I remember that. I remember that. Well, I won't tell you a woman to think that a man can be that. And then there's the women who think they're men. Do you really want to step down? Can I get a glory amen from that? Really, that's what you want to be? You want to step down? Ladies, you want to step down? Huh? (laughs) No. God made a man and He made a woman. And He was perfect in His creation. And He doesn't make a mistake. And you need to be what God made you to be. It's not an issue of masculinity and femininity. I mean... My soul, I mean, uh, I know ladies that can outshoot me on the, in the dove field and, and, and all that. There, there's some of our military ladies that, that I'm, so, I'm thankful for. They could fold me up, put me in an envelope, and mail me to Chicago. I mean, I'm telling you. But uh, it's not about that. It's about being what God created you to be. And it's about honoring Him and motherhood, and fatherhood, and the next generation. And our politics are destroying it. And they're coming after your kids. Thank God here in Ocean Springs, and I talk to our school board on a regular basis about issues. Thank God we're, we, we, we stand pretty sound. There may, there's some issues. I, I know it's everywhere, but we stand pretty sound compared to some other places. My good buddy from West Monroe just spent a whole week in Baton Rouge. The school system in Louisiana is about to see some dangerous trends, very dangerous trends. And my pastor friend called and said, Man, I'm just leaving the Baton Rouge for the hearings. He says it was me and one other preacher that showed up to defend, to defend right in our state and he said man I, I, I felt like I was back in the days of Noah and by the way look at verse 12 and God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt for the flesh was corrupted look at verse 11 it was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence you remember what happened was it last summer the violence You remember January 6th? doesn't matter which side you're on. Violence is violence. Out of control is out of control. And it's all led by a political environment. Regardless of who you vote for, that's how it is. And they're after your kids. And they're going to infiltrate down to even our elementary schools. 
You better hold the line, mom and daddy, and teach them the Bible. Thirdly, real quick, I've got to go on. The third example is the perversion of the aggressive world. Verse 6, he speaks of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And he makes reference to Genesis chapter uh, 19. We won't go in depth to that because of time, but if you remember the account, when the two angels of God came in to Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, who was just, Lot, who was, who was a righteous man. Second Peter calls him a righteous man. How in the world can Lot be a righteous man? We'll come back next week, I'll tell you. But uh, right now, I'm telling you about when Lot invited those angels into their home. What did the LGBTQ plus community do? They banged on the door. We want those men. We want those men. And Lot offered his daughters to them. It was an aggressiveness of the perverted world, a perversion of the aggressive world. Billy Graham wrote a book in 1965 called World of Flame. As he wrote that draft, he wrote the draft out of the chapter in which he dealt with the moral standards of America. He pulled it out of his typewriter and he gave it to his wife, Ruth Bell Graham. Ruth read that chapter from World of Flame and she said this. She did not say, oh, that's, you did great, or your punctuation's off here. She didn't say that. She said this, if God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. She said that in 1965. My soul, what would she say now? But dear friend, we live in a culture where you cannot live and let live. You cannot live and let live. We live in a culture now that's been so politicized that even if you think something is wrong that is sinful, you will be labeled and attacked. You can't even think about it anymore. You can't take a stand anymore. You will be the violent one. And so those are three examples how God judges sin. And don't you see, folks, I want to tell you, that's us. This is where we are today. We have got to be true to the Word of God. Now, let me show you real quickly. Get this. All three, the angels, the pre-flood world, and the Sodomites, all of them, the people from Sodom, all three had a witness to God's truth. The angels had the very presence of God in heaven. The world before the flood had Noah. Second Peter says he was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was more than a boat builder. He was a preacher of righteousness. He preached. And then the people of Sodom, they had Lot. A weak testimony, but they still had Lot. So all three had a witness for God. Secondly, all three had a false teacher they followed. A false teacher came up on the scene and they followed him. The false teacher in heaven was Lucifer. The false teacher in the pre-flood world was the politics of the world, the political leadership. And the false teacher in Sodom was their culture, the trend of the culture. And then thirdly, all three met the judgment of God. But friend, I want to tell you what. It goes back to, to verse 9 of that great text of our text. Verse 9, God knows how to deliver the righteous out of such trials. And God knows how to reserve those who are ungodly unto judgment. So that's the two principles. God knows how to save, and God knows how to redeem, and God knows how to forgive. God knows how to deliver, and He knows how to deliver your children. I will tell you, dear friend, having your child, mom, dad, having your child in a Bible-preaching church, that is a must but it takes more than that. You are the greatest influence. Still, you are the greatest influence in their lives. And it must be you that teaches them to take the Word of God seriously. It must be you who will sit them down, teach them to pray, teach them the gospel, lead them to Jesus, disciple them in the faith, 
Keep them serving Christ and standing during these trying times. Teach them how to refute the false teachers of our world. Sit down and talk to them about it. I don't know if families sit down and talk about it anymore. Think, when was the last time you sat down at a dining room table with no phones? Uh, no TV, huh? Oh, honey, we can't, uh, we can't sit around the table tonight. Laura Ingram's on. Oh, we can't do that. Let's go watch TV and eat with the TV trays. Well, use that opportunity to speak to them God's Word. Tell them what God says. Tell them what God says and pray for them. So mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be false teachers. The political world is a false teacher these days. The aggression of the perverted world is after our children. They, they've made it clear that their leadership in this culture has made it clear. Their cultural icons have said, we're coming after your kids. I mean, they're coming and they're going to get into the minds of our children. We're going to see more and more of these tragedies. And certainly Satan is coming after them. So pray for them. Let's stand for our song of appeal. I pray, dear mom and dad, you'd commit to your families. Maybe you don't need to come down to talk to me and make a decision. Maybe you need to just reach down and grab your child, your, your teenager, and, or maybe after you get home today, maybe you need to sit down with them and take both their hands and look them in the eye and say, I'm going to be true to the Word of God and I, I'm going to start teaching you the Bible. And if you say, well, I can't teach it. Preacher, I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable. Well, read it. That's what you do. You read the Word of God. Let, let God's Word be read and pray with them. And you know what? If you do the best you can, that's all you can do. Do the best you can. I promise you, God will honor it. God will honor it. And God, because you're better at it than you think you are. Don't let the devil deceive you. And you be true. Pray together and, and love them. Send them off to school with a prayer. Get up earlier if you have to so you don't have to rush them out of the house to the bus stop. All right? And you pray with them and give them that at the beginning of the day and get them in the Word of God because the false teachers are after them. And then talk to them. Talk to them about it. Let them talk to you about it. And be gentle with them. Be, you know, you're filling their mind with God's Word and you've got to be patient with it. And God will honor it. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.